morning, I have the privilege of talking a little bit uh, about Jesus and uh, this season we believe is all about Jesus and beyond this season, all of life is about Jesus. And so any excuse we could possibly uh, come up with to talk about Jesus, we consider it uh, a privilege. And uh, we've been in a conversation that we've called Fierce Jesus over the last number of weeks. And in this series, I know it's a strange thing to say about Jesus, but it's true um, that for many of us, especially if you've grown up around the church, you've kind of developed a picture of Jesus. And if your picture is anything like my picture, then it's a picture of Jesus as really sweet and really soft and especially around Christmas time it's Jesus just sweetly lying in heavenly peace in uh, a manger and as and we've grown up and we've kept that picture of sweet little safe baby Jesus who skips and smiles everywhere that he goes and while there may be truth to that picture of Jesus what we've been saying is all oh, the picture of Jesus in scripture is so much broader and more beautiful than that Jesus is not just a tender Jesus is incredibly fierce and we believe that if we only see the sweet and the soft side of Jesus but we don't get a sense of the fierce side of Jesus we're going to miss out on so much of who he is and uh, so we've been talking about the other side of Jesus and uh, this morning we're going to continue to to do that and uh, we're going to look at a story in the New Testament in the book of Mark that I think will not only paint a fierce side to Jesus, but I think also helps us to understand some of why Jesus came as a baby at Christmas time. So if you have a copy of the Bible, you can meet me in Mark chapter 4. Mark, the second book of the New Testament, and uh, we're going to be in the fourth chapter. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, well, a couple of things. Number one, no worries, we're going to have the verses up here um, on the screen. And uh, also, if you don't own uh, a copy of the Bible, physical copy of the Bible, we would consider it such a privilege to give you um, a copy as our gift to you. So you can head to the connection corner right outside those back doors and, uh, and please ask for one. We'll be thrilled to get one to you. Uh, Mark chapter 4, and uh, we're going to start reading this uh, funky story in verse number 30. Mark chapter 4 verse 35. Let me give you a little bit of context for uh, what's happening. Um, Jesus has been doing what he loves to do. Uh, He's been teaching uh, people about the hope of God for hours and hours and hours. He's been sitting in a boat that's kind of parked a little bit off um, sure, and has been teaching the hundreds and hundreds of people who've lined up along the beach there um, on the northeast side of Israel, the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he's been talking to them for hours and hours and hours. And it's after this that the following takes place. Verse 35. That day, when evening came, he, Jesus, said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of this sea. 
So this story starts with an invitation uh, from Jesus to his 12 followers. And as we'll see in a second, there were others as well who started to follow Jesus. And they tagged along in in other boats um, as well. But this story starts with an invitation from Jesus. Jesus says to his closest friends and followers, hey, boat trip. Everyone gets in the boat and they start to head um, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And come on, if you know Jesus, it should not surprise you at all that he's just not necessarily generous with the details of how long, you know, are we going to be there? What are we going to do when we get to the other side? And and what are we going to have for dinner? He doesn't give them any of those details. He just says, hey, we are going on a trip. Um, let's get in this boat and let's cross this unpredictable eight mile wide span of fresh water. Verse 36. So leaving the crowd behind, they took him, Jesus, along. They being the disciples took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, uh, any teacher or preacher will tell you that teaching for an hour, let alone a couple of hours, let alone all day, is extremely exhausting, which is what I think Mark means when he tells us that the disciples took Jesus along just as he was, just as he was what? Just as he was spent, completely exhausted. This is uh, Mark's creative way of just looping us in on the fact that Jesus didn't take a quick cat nap before they left. Jesus didn't grab a quick bite to eat. Jesus didn't, you know, swig, you know, a little five-hour energy drink. No, he went just as he was, completely exhausted from giving and giving and teaching throughout the course of that day. He was beat. And Because I'm a little bit of a nerd, um, I found the switch in language really interesting um, here. Um, Where he says, Jesus invited them to go on this boat ride. And then the next thing you know, they took Jesus with them. Things like this stand out to me. um, Because it's like, wait, I thought this was Jesus' trip. How come now the disciples are taking him with them? I thought, is Jesus taking them? But anyway, um, I think, again, this is just Mark's way of letting us know that Jesus was not the designated driver in this particular uh, situation. Jesus was the leader of this crew, but he was not the captain of this particular boat. It was his trip, but he was just a passenger. On this occasion, his disciples were manning the vessel. Um, They were steering. The disciples are the ones who were sailing as they went. Which makes sense, by the way, because you may not know this, but the disciples weren't professional disciples by trade. A number of them were actually professional fishermen before Jesus called them to follow him. In fact, some of these guys had grown up on this very lake spending their lives fishing. They had grown up on boats. And so they were experts when it came to navigating this sea and when it came to navigating boats. And so they tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, you're great at teaching. You did such a great job. Now let us do what we are great at. So, hey, chill out. We got you. 
we got this. And as we'll see here in a second, Jesus was like, okay. And he goes to the back of the boat and actually takes a nap. He falls asleep. Um, Now, Mark, who uh, wrote this particular um, account, he, I like reading Mark. Mark has a flair for the dramatic in the way that um, he writes. He writes in almost a cinematic style with plot twists and surprises. So dramatic, so theatrical. If you read Luke, uh, Luke writes with so much more concern about the details. Um, the specific. Mark writes with such incredible um, theatrics, luring you into this false sense of comfort, and then loves to deliver these, boom, these surprises that make you, shock you in some sense. And he doesn't disappoint. That's kind of what he does here, right? Jesus and his friends are taking a boat trip. Um, And then, boom, watch what happens. This is Mark. This is not me. I'm just telling you what Mark is doing. He says in verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. This is Mark. In a matter of seconds, he plunges us into this deadly scene. So theatrical. He doesn't tell us like, and then off in the distance, behold, clouds started to form. He doesn't say, yea, verily, the wind gradually started to pick up. No. Last thing we know, they're getting into the boat and they've got this because they're professionals. And the next thing we know, the disciples are fighting for their lives, being violently assaulted by a storm, and the disciples are convinced they are going to die. Now, storms were not unusual on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, surprise storms were not necessarily unusual on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is the lowest sitting uh, freshwater body, uh, freshwater lake in the world, and it's surrounded by mountains. And so uh, it was prone to have winds pick up and these gusts just swoop down into that valley and stir up the waters suddenly, creating these waves, creating these storms. There was nothing unusual about that. But in all of their lives, with all the time they had spent on this body of water, They had never seen a storm this ferocious. Uh, Mark calls the storm that they encounter on their little boat trip a furious squall. Um, And the word for furious is a word that means intensely violent. Waves are beating against this boat over and over and over. They can't steer or scoop water out fast enough. It is filling up and this thing is beginning to sink. Completely overwhelming them. Mayday, mayday. We thought we had this, but we don't got this at all. By the way, Uh, I don't know if in the midst of this dramatic story you've even taken a moment to consider, but 
Isn't this just like life sometimes? Isn't this just such a great picture of life? Especially the way Mark writes this, so theatrical. Isn't this such a picture of the dramatic reality on life? What minute we are going about our business and we've got this. We're just living the next minute, boom. No warning, no clouds forming in the distance, no wind gradually picking up. No, that storm came out of nowhere and started beating on your world over and over and over, overwhelming you to the point where you feel like your life is sinking. Isn't that just like life? I mean, it's not that long ago that, that you started this adventure. Hey, life trip, and you exchanged vows at the altar. You had no, you did not see this furious squall coming and assaulting your marriage over and over to the point where if you're honest, you don't believe you are going to make it. That thing came out of nowhere. Oh, I started my new job and there was so much hope and possibility and upward mobility. I had no idea what I would run into with my coworkers and what I would run into with my customers. And now it is a living nightmare and this thing is spiraling fast. Man, when I started my freshman year, I mean, I knew it would be regular hard. But I had no idea it would be furious, difficult, the way it's been. And if I could tell anybody about it, I would announce to you that I just don't think there's no way I make it through my sophomore year. Isn't this the way life works sometimes? I was running marathons just two years ago. And then the diagnosis came in and I just cannot. It is beating me up physically and I can barely. Move. I mean, I knew it wasn't a good idea, don't get me wrong. But I didn't expect that one experimental hit would have me hooked. And now I'm addicted and I cannot stop. And my life is spiraling before my eyes and mayday, mayday, I don't got it. I remember when I would just hit ignore, 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 and I wouldn't return texts and hit ignore. All these people constantly bothering me. And then all of a sudden, the weekend shows up to remind me I am all alone. The loneliness is so real, and it doesn't feel like there's anything I can do about it. And Christmas is just this reminder of the ways that my relationships are being assaulted by dysfunction. And I don't got it. Mayday. Have you paused long enough to think that this is the way life often is? An unexpected storm that just bears down and not only threatens to destroy, but it starts to sink you and it feels like there is nothing you can do but just accept the fact you are going down. Jesus desires us to live life full, and Jesus desires us to live life freely. 
But there is that thing that is assaulting and it is bent on destroying all that Jesus is for in your life. It is coming after your family and it just feels like it's overwhelming your marriage and it's coming after your joy and it's coming after your peace. Anyway, did I mention how dramatic Mark is? Uh, super dramatic. Uh, and here he goes again. Plot twist. This is just so interesting. The storm is killing them. The, the boat is sinking. The storm is raging. And then he pans the camera and Jesus is sleeping. You're like, what? What? Come on, man. All of these things can't possibly be happening in the same story. They're on a boat trip, and then a storm came out of nowhere, and Jesus is just sleeping in the back. Verse 38 says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a sandbag turned cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown, or don't you care that we are drowning? Now, man, this is so good. I don't know about you, how you read your Bible, but I read this, and this is so good. I was honestly thinking, like, man, would I follow Jesus if this was the only verse I had? And I'm like, I just might. I just might. I don't know if he rose from the dead or he didn't, but I know he slept through a storm. Who does that? (laughs) I mean, this thing is starting to sink. Water is everywhere. People are freaking out, panicking, Jesus is sleeping. How fierce is Jesus? This is so, the bobblehead boat is just doing all of its thing. And Jesus is just, he's just sleeping. This is a trip to me. Um, and by the way, don't get super theological cute on me. Telling me like, uh, you know. Maybe he was just fake sleeping, uh, like to test his disciples, hence the phrase sandbagging. Like, no, no. Jesus is sleeping, sleeping. How fierce do you have to be? Now, I've had um, uh, what I would call uh, a couple of unpleasant run-ins with nature. In the last few months, uh, the first one was in August. I was driving home from Cincinnati, and uh, I ran into the fiercest thunderstorm I have ever witnessed, let alone been in. Oh, man, the wind was gusting. The rain was coming down. It was visibility zero. Cars literally just all pulled over on the side of the road and stopped. And you watch over there and trees are coming down. I was freaking out. I called my wife um, because I didn't know, man. I didn't know. (laughs) This may have been it. So uh, I called her just to talk to her, uh, just to say some things, tell her some of my passwords and stuff. Um, The second time, um, was just a few weeks ago. This time I was actually with my wife and we were flying to Florida and nature got real a few thousand feet above the ground while we we're hurling in this metal tube. And um, man, a storm came up into the sky. And that plane was shaking and so was I. Um, my wife asks me the question, 
You never ask a man in a situation like this. Are you scared? I'm like, woman, do not make a liar out of me. Do not make a liar out of me. I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, I mean, no. I mean, I don't know if I would use the word, yeah, I'm scared, hold me. You know, in fact, she'll testify to holding my hand as I watch all the respect just drain out of her eyes. And, um, and uh, I don't think I've seen it return quite, quite yet because it was real, man. I was freaking out. Now, I've got to tell you a couple of things because you need to know them. Here's thing number one. In both of those situations, made it back home safely, I'm fine. Thank you for your visible concern, disguised as laughter. I really appreciate that. But the second and the more important thing is, at no point during either of those terrifying ordeals did it ever occur to me, hmm, I feel sleepy. At no point did any part of my body feel like I could go to sleep right now. I don't remember times when I was more awake than when I was panicking and freaking out. Which brings me back to my earlier question. How fierce is Jesus? How do you sleep through a storm that is destroying everything around you. Maybe we'll come back to that, but I just wanted to remind you, Jesus is so fierce. And by the way, if you want to know how bad this storm was, if there's any question how bad this storm was, um, verse 38 tells us, (laughs) by virtue of the disciples' response. Um, I don't know if I've told you this, but um, I was recently in a pretty severe storm (laughs) Uh, in an airplane. Uh, I may have mentioned it, but um, you know one of the reasons I was so scared? Because you're a wimp. All right, do you know another reason why I was really scared? Because here's the thing I do, and some of you might do the same thing. Like if turbulence starts to show up in an airplane, I have a simple trick. I will peer out into the aisle, and I will try and find the closest flight attendant, and I'll just stare at them. And here's the trick. If the flight attendant is just going about their business, smiling and talking to people and selling those overpriced snacks, I'm like, we're cool. If she's calm, I'm calm. She flies these friendly skies all the time. She knows what a little innocent turbulence feels like. So if she's not worried, she knows better than I know. So I'm not worried either. I'm going back to that crossword puzzle. I'll do two and then I'll quit uh, as I typically do. Um, But when the captain came over the loudspeaker in his real chill voice, you know how they're trying to lure you into this sense of calm, and he said, "Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are going to dim the cabin lights and suspend all in-flight service um, because we're about to go through some serious turbulence. And then I watched the flight attendant sit down and buckle up and stop smiling, I was like, it is real. And then when the captain loses like his cool, chill voice talking about, sit down, forget the peanuts, sit down. I'm like, it's a wrap. It's a wrap. 
And if you want to know anything about how severe this situation was, the most expert fishermen who have grown up on this sea off freaking out and they're waking Jesus up. Don't you care that we're about to drown? That tells you everything you need to know about how real this was. And somehow Jesus was sleeping in the midst of all of that. And by the way, because I find simple things funny, I'm amused by the fact that the disciples wake him up and uh, they, they don't wake him up like to help them. Uh, they don't wake him up out of concern for him. They wake him up because they're a little bit annoyed that he's not suffering along with them. They're like, mm-mm, misery loves company, baby. If we are freaking out, you're going to freak out too. Um, but the truth of the matter is, if you read the story, they wake Jesus up to accuse him of being self-absorbed. You're sleeping back here. All you care about is you. You don't care about us. You just care about you. Isn't this a trip, though? They wake Jesus up, not to help them, not to, hey, get a bucket and scoop some water out, help us out. No, they wake him up just to accuse him of not caring. You know what this means? This situation is so bad that they are convinced there is nothing you can do about this. You're a cool teacher and everything, but we're in a deadly storm. This is out of your league. Nothing you can do. But you can at least care. And you don't seem to be doing even that. Now, I don't know. If maybe you've been so caught up in the dramatics and the theatrics of this story that you've not paused for a second to acknowledge the fact that isn't this just the way we often interact with Jesus, though? Maybe it's just me. And so I'll confess that since I have the microphone. But isn't this the way we often interact with Jesus? Uh, For most of the stuff and most of the struggles in our lives, truth be told, we don't mind that Jesus is sleeping in the back somewhere. Why? Because we got this. (laughs) We got this. I mean, you're a cool teacher and everything. But what do you have to do with the day-to-day stuff and struggles of our life? We treat Jesus like it really doesn't matter if you just sleep in the back somewhere. Because we're good. We're professionals. We know how to take care of our kids if they get sick. And if things get a little out of hand, we have some more options on account of the medical experts. So we'll deal with You just sleep. We got it. We know how to handle our marriage, and should it experience a little bit of turbulence, then hey, we have some therapeutic options. Don't worry about it, Jesus. You just sleep. We're good. Oh, we, we, we'll let you know if we need you. But we got this. And then every now and then, a furious squall hits our lives. And we're like, uh-oh. Has anyone seen Jesus? I think he's in the back napping somewhere. Someone go wake him up. Oh, this is, this is a major level crisis. 
Because I'm just saying, if you read the story, the disciples could have woken him up at any point during the ordeal. But they, they don't. He's a good teacher, but what does he know about storms? And for many of us, that's how we interact with Jesus. I mean, he's cool, but he's really irrelevant for the majority of my life. He can sleep. I mean, we'll wake him up on Sunday for an hour at church. But other than that, just Jesus, do your thing. We'll do ours. Because if we're honest, in many areas of our lives, we just don't believe he can do anything about what we're going through. I mean, he's, come on, be honest. He's a teacher. Yeah, that's great. But what does he know about grocery shopping and coupons? So Jesus, just sleep on this one. We don't need you here. <laughs> I mean, what does he know about like the 50th time I've heard, Mom, Mom, this day? I got nothing to do with that, so you just sleep. You're good. What does he know about the day-to-day drama I experienced at school? He doesn't know anything about that. He's a great little baby for the manger scene. Thank you for that. We'll see you at Christmas. And hey, you, you were good for certain things, but other than that, we don't mind if you sleep. But for others of us, I think if we are even deeper honest than that, we agree with the disciples. No, he can sleep in the back because I just, I don't think he cares about the stuff of my life. Definitely not the small things. I would never wake him up for this because I really just don't think he cares. Come on, be honest. Why you don't involve him more in the simplest things? He doesn't care. And about the kind of big things, I don't think he cares about that. And then when we finally come to him, many of us, we do it just to let him know how disappointed we are in the fact that he doesn't care. And that he couldn't do anything or he didn't do something. We just wake him up just to tell him that we are disappointed and we're angry and all of those things. If we're honest, many of us just don't believe Jesus can do much. And then others of us just don't believe he cares enough, even if he could do something about that. And I'm just asking, does your version of Jesus care about the stuff of your life? And can he do anything about the storms that are threatening to take you down? And you know the answer to this. The answer is found in how often do you wake him up? How often do you bring your stuff to him? My kids believe I care about them. So they'll tell me about all kinds of boo-boos and all kinds of crafts. And I don't have the heart to tell them that, okay, I do care about them. But I mean, if we did believe that, we would continue to come is your version of jesus one who cares about you is he one who can do anything about the stuff of your life this is part of why we've been having this conversation about fierce jesus because whatever version of jesus you believe your picture of what jesus is like will determine so much of how you interact with him and what you see of him Watch what happens next. Woo! Ha <laughs> ha! Verse 39. Come on, Mark. 
It says, Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I just cannot wait to see the video of the faces of the disciples when this thing took place. I'm going to read that again. Verse 39. He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Okay, I would definitely follow Jesus on account of this. How fierce is he? (laughs) Jesus gets up. And he speaks to the weather. Um, I don't know if I've told you, but I've been in a a couple of um, storms (laughs) in the the last few months. I don't know if I mentioned this. Um, But I can safely say at no point during any of those storms did it occur to me. Just talk to the weather. Never. Jesus talks to the weather. And I love the language Mark uses. Jesus essentially says to the wind, shh. And then he says to the waves, down boy. Two instructions (laughs) to the weather. Talking about shh and heal, heal. And everything became calm. Jesus is so fierce. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God bless. He is awesome. I love this. I don't know what view of Jesus you hold. But he is fierce. I don't know how strong you believe that storm in your life is. I don't know how strong the thing that's bearing down on you seems to be. I don't know how overwhelming that situation in your world seems to be. But can we reintroduce you to fierce Jesus who says, shh. Down boy. And that's all there is to it. No debate, no argument, no conversation. The winds and the waves cooperate with the words of fierce Jesus. This is so powerful. I don't know if you knew, but this baby that we celebrate around Christmas time came into this world to wage a war on anything that threatens to destroy anything that threatens to distance you from the life and the peace and the joy and the hope that he intends for your world. And to whatever that thing is, Jesus is able shh, heal. I don't know if you knew, but Jesus is more fierce than the most furious storm you will ever face. And if he says the word, if he rebukes it, it must heal like a trained puppy to whatever it is that he speaks. That thing that you thought, oh, I got it. And then you realize, oh no, I don't got it. It got me. Matter of fact, it is overwhelming and bearing down on me. Well, Jesus got it. And all he needs to do is shh, heal. And I'm telling those of us who've grown up in the church, 
If we do not capture a picture of fierce Jesus, this will be hard for us to embrace. This will be hard for us to believe. And yet here he is. No, but the addiction though. Shh. No, but this marital crisis heal, heal. But the loneliness is down, boy. No, but the depression, shh. I don't know how fierce your view of Jesus is, but he is more fierce than the storm in your world is furious. If he speaks to your storm, the only question is, do you believe that? Is your version of Jesus fierce enough to do that? And I believe that's the question he would ask you. Am I fierce enough to silence your storm? Am I more fierce than your storm is furious? Do you believe that? And that's the question he asks his disciples. Look at verse 40. After he speaks to the storm, he talks to his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so Afraid. Do you still have no faith? And I wonder how you would answer that question. Do you still have no faith? Faith, by the way, is just another word for confidence. Do you still have no? Have you not heard my words? Have you not seen my work? This is such a powerful question. Now, just to be clear, uh, Jesus is not really asking his disciples, nor is he asking us if we have faith. Um, he's asking, do you still have no faith in me? Because here's the crazy thing. Of course the disciples had faith. Of course the disciples had confidence. Of course you have faith. Of course you have confidence. That's not what Jesus is really asking. He's asking, do you have the greatest confidence in me? That's the question. That's the question this Christmas. <laughs> when the disciples woke Jesus up, uh, they had plenty of faith. They had plenty of confidence. It just happened to be confidence in the storm. They had plenty of faith. It just happened to be faith in the fact that they were done. This was a wrap. 
There was no hope. They had plenty of confidence. And Jesus is saying, do you still have greater confidence in the storm than you have in the Savior? Yeah, that's why we let you sleep. Because we have greater confidence in we got this. And we have greater confidence in or we have options. And we have greater confidence in. And Jesus is asking that question. Is your greatest confidence not yet in me? Are you seriously saying the storm is greater than I am? And if the disciples were honest, they would say, yeah, we're kind of saying that. Are you seriously saying the diagnosis is greater than the healer? Yeah, Jesus, we're kind of saying that. Are you really saying the addiction is stronger than the chain breaker? Yeah, we're kind of saying that. Really? Do you still have no faith? Are you really saying that marital crisis is greater than the great restorer? Yeah, Jesus, the truth is we, we really kind of are saying that. You're saying your loneliness is greater than the one who never leaves or forsakes? Yeah, I'm kind of saying that. Do you still have no faith? Are you saying the headlines are greater than the unimpeachable king? Yeah, we're kind of saying that. That's why we're freaking out. Huh. You still have no faith. Here's the thing about storms. They have a way of revealing what our greatest faith is in. I wonder what yours are saying. It's either going to be the furious storm or it's going to be the fierce savior. And I'm telling you, if Jesus is only a sweet little baby in a manger, I don't blame us for having more confidence in the storms in our lives. But if he is the warrior king who just happened to come as a baby, then all of a sudden no storm formed against me shall prosper. All of a sudden he who is sleeping in my boat is greater than whatever storm is raging in the world. If he really is who he says he is. Do you still have no faith? Watch what happens for the disciples because this is what I hope happens for us verse 41 Um, and team you guys can come on out it says they were terrified and asked each other um who is this (laughs) because sometimes you spend a lot of time around jesus you think you know him and they are reintroduced to him who is this Even the wind and the waves obey him. And some of us need a who is this moment. I thought I knew. But when I look at my life, my confidence is actually in the storms that are destroying me. And the depression and the sadness and the addiction. And I need to be reintroduced to Jesus in a way that causes me to ask, wait a minute. Who is this that even my addiction, shh, at the sound of his voice? Who who is this? The winds and the waves obey him. This is called a faith transfer, y'all. And that's what I trust will happen for all of us. When it occurs to you, Jesus is more fierce than the storm. If we're afraid of anything, it should be the one who can shush the storm. 
And if we're to put our confidence in anything, it should be in Jesus. And I believe this Christmas, Jesus would invite us to transfer our faith. Because come on, you have immense confidence in something. In all that's wrong in this world, in the thing that's bearing down on you, in the condition of your kids, in the condition of your parents' health, in the condition of our nation. You have confidence in something. And Jesus is saying, transfer your faith. Do you still not have the greatest confidence in me? You've been confident in your own abilities because you're professional and you got this. So you leave me sleeping in the boat and I'll say transfer your confidence. I know better than you about everything there is. Transfer your confidence to me. And for some of us, It may simply be an invitation this morning to look at Jesus and say, I see you. And for the first time, maybe the first time in a long time, I believe you care about me. I have doubted and I've wondered about that. And so obviously I've gone to a bunch of other things, but I return to this place where I believe you care. If you came in the form of a baby and you went to give your life on a cross in order to bring me life and forgiveness, you care about me. And I want to reconfess that and transfer my confidence back into a Savior who cares. For some of us, we may need to make the declaration, wait a minute, you can. I've forgotten when I was a kid I believed it, but then I grew out of believing that you can. There is nothing you cannot do just because of the fact that I've been beaten up by so many things for so long doesn't change the fact that you can speak the word and cause it to come. Transfer your confidence. For some of us, it's as simple as saying, I I believe you're here. In the midst of all of the storms and all of the pain and all of the difficulty, I forgot You're in the boat. You never left. I just stopped running to the stern to wake you. But you're here in the midst of my loneliness. You've never left. You are here. And so I return my confidence to the one who is here. And he never leaves. And he never forsakes. And he never forgets. Some of us just need to return to the place where we believe his word. And we say, if you say it, I'm standing on it. Regardless of what's, because if your word can shush a storm, then I'm going to stand on your word even if everything around me is swirling. I'm returning my confidence to what you have said. And matter of fact, if you called me to take this trip across this lake, then I'm trusting you to keep me if you called me. And so I'm returning to trusting and believing your word. And for some of us, the transfer of confidence may be entire. That he's inviting us to maybe for the first time ever stop trusting in our own ability to fix our lives or to change our lives or deal with our sin or deal with our failures. Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm the only one who can lift your sin. I'm the only one who can give you forgiveness. It's why I came. But as long as you think you can do it, You will never come to me and the storm of sin will overwhelm you in the end. So here's my invitation. Transfer your confidence from your own righteousness and from your own good deeds onto me. And let me shush the storm of sin with one word. Forgiven. Forgiven. But you've got to put your confidence in me. I don't know how he's inviting you to express faith in him. 
but he is fierce and he is worthy of all of our confidence and so I'd invite you if you need somebody by the way to pray with or maybe walk through some of this with you I'd encourage you stop by the prayer exchange that Jeff talked about and there'll be folks there and you can write your request and you can maybe pray with some folks but the question is do you put your greatest confidence in Jesus this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for coming in the form of a baby. You did that to wage war on the things that seek to destroy and seek to separate and seek to distance us from the hope and the life that you have called us to. So even now, we just pray that you would stir in us a fresh confidence that you would give each of us a fresh vision of who you are and that we would trust you more than we trust more than we place confidence in anything else around us you are worthy of it it's in your name that we pray amen when we stand together we'll sing one more song